Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren, where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. We are thrilled to announce that Lauren and I are launching a global virtual therapy practice. We'll be specializing in trauma healing and brain retraining for those suffering from the effects of chronic stress and trauma in their bodies and minds. We'll begin seeing clients in May. So if you're interested, head over to our newly launched social media pages and our website, flourishtherapy.co, to learn more or join the waitlist. We'll be sure to put the links in the descriptions of this episode and share more information in future episodes. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to this uh, podcast episode. And today's a, a special day, an exciting day where Lauren is going to share about her brain retraining journey. This has been a long journey and it's been a hard one. It's been a story of perseverance and Mm -hmm. enduring and I'm excited for her to share it. And this is a big reason why we has influenced our even starting our, our business together as we've learned about brain retraining more and more. And so today, Lauren's going to be talking uh, the majority of the time, and I'm just going to be kind of here with her, maybe adding a little bit here or there, but it's going to be mostly her sharing her story, which is a great story. So Lauren, I'm excited to, for you to share this. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, share this publicly. I don't know. It's the first time or so completely but maybe yeah I've been so hesitant to try and like encapsulate the story and produce it for others to see because it feels so much bigger it feels like that's not possible because of how layered and twisty turny and like a big ball yarn it is um but we've had some of people in our audience ask for more details about my my story and um I am definitely willing to share it so today will be a lot of details of that of my physical emotional health uh, journey and healing intermixed with kind of some of our story uh, snapshots of our story along the way and it's impossible to know which um, parts matter so I just figure saying something is better than not sharing it at this point. So mm-hmm. uh, I've been working on just pulling together this story and trying to have like a narrative um, that makes sense. And I, I'm excited to share. It. I decided I wanted to give more of a um, a real life human story, not just the medical side um, of medication, supplements, diagnoses, all of that. I know that interests some people, but I think more likely there's more people who'd be interested in the the story part of it. And so I'm going to share the story with some of the the health um, details in it, but not a lot because that may bore a lot of people that aren't interested or a part of the medical slash health field. So that's my plan. And I'm glad you're here with me providing moral support and um yeah, just like symbolic to the whole journey. You've been my number one fan, my rock, my encourager, um, my griever, my mm. fellow mourner, and just such a un, unreplaceable part of this journey. And so... Yeah. It's only fitting that you're here with me as I share it. So Happy I'm going to, to just jump in. Thanks, mm-hmm. babe. Um, so this is a story that uh, where numbers reveal a lot. And just to start off, I will share that I, before I started brain retraining last April, April, 2021, I was up to around 70 symptoms and down to about 10 foods. And those two numbers tell a lot of my functionality and what my life looked like. Um, I have also had uh, 
autoimmune disease uh, since I was five. So I've had them for 30 years and my health has continued to get progressively worse. So as a kiddo, I um, developed this autoimmune disease at five, and then I went on to have relatively normal health by way of how I felt, so symptoms. Um, my first autoimmune disease was vitiligo, which is a skin condition where your skin turns white in different areas, and it's um, it's not physically painful, but emotionally, as you can imagine, being a kid, being different was massively uh, affected me. And so... Um, I had some things, headaches start to develop, some some sun issues, um, couldn't be out in the sun for long, and stamina issues as a teen, even though I did play basketball. Um, I always felt like I was uh, not quite the same energy level or capacity as my peers. And then I got married really young to this fine gentleman here. I was 19, and... Um, much to our surprise, we found ourselves pregnant uh, at 20. I was 20 um, unexpectedly. And this pregnancy was extremely symptomatic for me. I felt like I was 50 years old. Um, so many symptoms. I was so ill, so sick. And I was working as a nurse in the emergency room full time. And my body was just like, what are you doing? But I, I didn't have a choice. So I continued. And um, maybe I did have a choice. But at that time, it was just what I needed to do. And so um, I developed acid reflux and I didn't have any of the classic reasons, overweight, smoker, um, all of those things that contribute to uh, reflux developing, drinker, things like that. So I went and got scoped um, right after I had my baby. I went and got um, endoscope and the doc, I remember him saying like, this is just what you have. You need to take PPIs for the rest of your life there's no other options. And I was just asking, you know, I knew very little of them, but I was thinking I have to take these prescription medications forever. Um, and that was the only answer I got. So, um, I ended up going to a doctor, um, to say I was noticing lots of symptoms begin in my body and I didn't know what was what. And as a mainstream medical um, nurse, that was the field I was in, I went to a doctor and I said, he's like, okay, you can give me three symptoms. I give people uh, three options. You know, I'm not going to talk about all their problems, but if you give me three, I'll tell you what we can do for those. So I gave him the top three at the time. He gave me some meds and I moved on without much um, help. I got pregnant again with my second child. And I went to a midwife this time because I was actually already working at a birth center um, part-time watching her catch babies. And it was so amazing. And I, the first birth I saw there, I was like, absolutely, this is how I'm going to have my next baby. Because my first birth was 52 hours and very traumatic and very intervention um, laden. And so this birth uh, was, was wonderful. It was pain-free, pain medication-free. It was definitely not pain-free as some woman um, experience. I was, um, with, when I worked with this midwife, she was like, oh, you don't need to be on PPIs. You can take some probiotics or digestive enzymes and you'll probably be fine. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try that. And I was shocked being in the medical field. I was shocked that I could actually get off a medication and be okay. Um, and so that's what I did. And I was really happy about that. I ended up um, becoming a doula because I loved the work uh, I was a doula for three years, and that was um, really, really special part of my journey. But then we adopted a baby. This was our third kiddo, and he came home at two weeks old. And I started to breastfeed him because my previous child was still nursing. She was a toddler who nursed, who um, I do believe that this, all this nursing affected my body quite a bit, tapped my stores, and um was a stressor on my system, like it is for many women. So I had um, this little baby boy and I nursed him for five months. Luke and I were crazy trying to make this work. We had breast milk donations from like 15 people that we would give him through a little tube as he nursed on me. And he was drinking about 50% my milk, 50% other people's milk and homemade formula that we were making daily fresh. Um, I was... I was a very, um, I was an intense person. I was a go-getter and I wanted to give him 
the very best, like my other two kiddos got. And so we did that for five months and um, my health was definitely deteriorating around when he was around 10 months old, Luke and I decided to do the GAPS diet, which was the most extreme thing we had done ever before um, at that point dietarily. And so we jumped into the GAPS diet and we're eating broth, drinking broth and um, really had a very restricted diet for, for a while. And then we, it would look more like paleo. It's just a very grain, grain-free and sugar-free and dairy-free. Um, but actually Luke, Luke did really well on that. I, I was not my gut issues, which is why I went into the diet. I looked like I was like six months pregnant whenever I ate. So this is like a lot of the reasons that drove me to the diet. Um, my gut issues didn't get better until I found out about SIBO, a condition that a lot of people have, uh, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. And I began treating that um, with herbal antibiotics. I saw a lot of relief and I was thrilled about that. So we did GAPS for about a year and that was a crazy time for us. Um, we moved to New York. So we Luke finished up his grad degree and we moved back to New York and we had a really hard situation with an organization where there was some um, spiritual abuse and mishandling. And uh, I, about um, three months after that, I was like very non-functional. It hurt to move. It hurt to breathe. Taking a shower felt like running a marathon. I was so, so sick. And in the field um, that I was familiar with, I was starting to get more into functional medicine. I realized it would have been classified as adrenal fatigue. Some other fields would have called it burnout. Um, but basically my body was completely shutting down and I was feeling awful. I was riddled with anxiety and I had so many symptoms. Life felt truly unbearable. So I started to address adrenal fatigue from that perspective with supplements and herbs and a lot of rest. And I really believe that was very, um, very important for me to bounce back. I bounced back about 50%, I would say, um, in about a year's time. And um, I kept going to the doctors. I had uh, so many labs done trying to figure out what was, what was going on, but nothing significant was off, just a few deficiencies. Um, eventually later on, I found out I had Lyme disease and uh, my son actually had it as well. I treated myself with some very, um, very intense protocols. And I did that for several, several months. And I actually didn't experience any improvement from that. So then this, this story is just, yeah, I hope you're breathing okay, because it's just a wild ride. Um, around this time, we decided that we wanted to adopt again, and we wanted to adopt a child from the foster care system that was um, adoptable, that was, you know, ready to adopt, not traditional foster route, because we knew we were going um, to Thailand. We knew we were moving to Thailand in a few years. And so we uh, ended up adopting a 12-year-old. And prior to that, we had fought primarily me because Luke was working full-time. I had fought like crazy for two years, three different agencies to try and bring her home, to try and make that happen. Um, so she came home. And then about a year and a half later, um, I, well, when she came home, I went into full-blown advocacy mode, trying to figure out how to help her, how to support her, what she needed, what she didn't need. And... I was um, consumed by that process and by the work that was before me. And I put my whole heart and soul into it and body. Um, so we moved to Thailand a year and a half, a year and a half later. And um, soon after that, I was diagnosed with uh, autoimmune thyroid disease, another autoimmune disease for me. I began some medications. I saw some relief, which was, uh, I was really thankful for, but I was not doing very well in Thailand. I was getting parasites regularly. My body, my, my flora could not adjust to the different flora here. And, um, I, I was just kind of managing at a high level, all of the things my body was doing and the symptoms that were cropping up. I remember we were doing Thai. We did Thai language for about how long was it? A year and a half? About 15 months, 16 months. Yeah. 
I remember we were doing the afternoons and afternoons were my absolute worst. I would crash so hardcore and I would like fall asleep in these Thai lessons and I would try to keep my head up and I would just keep falling asleep. And um, I felt a lot of fatigue and uh, exhaustion and my body was really, really uh, not coping well. Fast forward a few years, we went back to the States in 2020 um, during COVID, but COVID had just started, so we didn't know what was going to happen. We went back to take our oldest um, to a life skills program. She, we got stuck there. We thought it was just going to be a few weeks. It ended up being a year. And during this time, there were massive relational traumas that we experienced. And although I was doing everything um, by way of self-care, best protocols, resting, eating, napping, being in nature, doing all of these things that I knew helped people feel well, I felt um, awful and my body was really, truly deteriorating. So uh, I was in the process during this time of doing this um, dental treatment, um, this program uh, that was about five grand for my TMJ and my headaches. And I was driving two hours, two and a half hours every week to go to this place to do this. And I was just hoping, 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 hoping it would help me feel better. But my symptoms were so much more than just my TMJ and headaches. So I kind of was skeptical all along, but really clinging to hope because I didn't know what else to do. I had read so many books. I didn't, I didn't even share. I became a nutritional therapist. I forgot about that. Um, about a year. Let's see, I became a nutritional therapist about 10 years. This is when I was in New York before we moved to Thailand. And I practiced there for a few years before we moved here. Um, and in nutritional therapy, it was all uh, functional, functional medicine, holistic health. And I had learned so much and I was just constantly um, voraciously getting whatever information I could about conditions to help my clients and also to help myself. And so um, I knew what protocols helped the conditions that I had, but I was not able to help myself. I was more just managing my symptoms and I wasn't seeing actual recovery of anything. And I had to do so much to sustain my life. I had to, I was fragile to everything. So I had to eat a very, very, very specific way that was getting more and more restrictive. I had to take lots of supplements and I had to basically do very little to maintain functionality. And so um, in the midst of these relational traumas, I started to develop hives and extreme burning skin that would come like a rush um, daily, almost every day, different foods I ate would trigger it. And I had never experienced hives in my life. And it started to freak me out because my heart rate would go sky high. And it really was like a panic, like my body was shutting down response. And I didn't know if my, my throat was going to close. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what I was allergic to, but these things started happening regularly, these full blown hive reactions, and they terrified me. Um, I was already gluten-free for 10 years, dairy-free for six years, um, and just getting decreasingly less through the years. But at this point, I had reduced to about 10 foods. I had lost weight. And as you can imagine, I wasn't, life is hard to sustain on only 10 foods. So I went very low histamine um, in my diet. I had a lot of insomnia during this time, a lot of anxiety, bodily anxiety, um, grief and terror regularly filled my body and getting myself up to move and to do what I needed to do, even in our very simple life as we were waiting to get back to Thailand, um, my body was just struggling immensely to do those things, to do even the basics. So we finally, after about a year living in this little cabin um, by the pond, which was so wonderful, but uh, my body was struggling to enjoy it. it my body was really panicked and in a very, very hard place physically. We moved back to Thailand and we ended up moving into a moldy house. We didn't keep it ventilated well enough. We didn't know, um, we didn't know this would happen. We thought we had done the right things to make, prevent this from happening, but basically our whole house was filled with mold. And so for two weeks, Luke and I worked 12 to 15 hours a day, cleaning everything, putting it out in the sun, washing it, throwing out probably like 30 to 50% of our stuff. Um, yeah, it was insane. And I had gotten blood, I had gotten tests done early in the year that showed that I do not detoxify mold well. And so that just 
further um, perpetuated the panic that I was under realizing all of our belongings in this world uh, were affected by mold. So um, about a month or two after this, I had heard uh, in one of the histamine groups I was on on Facebook, I had heard this woman say, I am eating Doritos now and this and this and this. And I was down to, you know, five to 10 foods. And I, for some reason, that comment was so compelling to me because I knew when you have histamine intolerance, you can eat so little. And I was like, how did she do that? And she just said, I've been brain retraining. And it reminded me that a naturopath I was working with had previously that year mentioned brain retraining casually to me. He said that when some people protocols don't work for them and they're not getting any better, brain retraining can be a good option for them. That did not file for me. It did not seem like the answer. I was very functionally driven, find the problem, put the solution on, um, which even though I was in functional medicine is still a very Western perspective that I was applying. Um, but when I read her saying this, I started to, um, I digged in this one, I, I dug <laughs> this one book um, where a guy, uh, a doctor who treats really, really sick people, he actually had mentioned it. And I remembered reading that. And then I just went on this deep dive to figure out what in the world is this brain retraining thing that I'm hearing about? Is it valid? Why the heck haven't I heard about it before? And I just was very, very skeptical. But as I was watching testimony after testimonial of people that sounded so much like me that had similar diagnoses, similar issues, similar pain and just agony on this journey of, of wrestling with your own body, I realized this was our next step. And I went and told Luke and like the gracious, hopeful person he was, he was like, absolutely, let's do it. Like this may be what you need. And so... Um, Can I jump I in took, real quick? Jump in. Sorry, hon. I need a drink of water anyways. Yeah. Um, I just want to check in with you. Just how you feeling? How you doing? Like you're, wow. you're like, as we talk like about stories, that's like a 30,000 foot view. Mm -hmm. And I just know those 15 years, 30 years, there's so much weight that you were experiencing through that time and so much hope and discouragement excitement discouragement fear um getting a new diagnosis and and getting what does this mean for me now i remember me being afraid it's like like my wife's 30 years old she's gonna die i'm not gonna have my wife for much like i don't think i'm gonna grow old with her that yeah. this continues this way yeah and so just being very scared as your husband, but also just seeing all that you did, again, like everything, you tried everything to yeah. be a good mom, a good wife, a good friend, and take care of yourself. So, so like, how are you feeling just replaying that? Yeah, um, there is so much suffering that's wrapped up in a story like this and if you suffer from chronic illness or live with someone who does you know that firsthand that it is you know you try to write these snapshots to try and capture it but you cannot capture what it's like to live in a body that doesn't really work mm -hmm. and that's what it feels like it feels like everyone else gets bodies that work but mine mine's somehow deficient <laughs> Mm -hmm. It's defective. Can I take it back and get a refund? I want a body that works, please. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's very sobering looking back at my story and it's hard. It's really hard to do, yeah. but it's also really, really good to do. So I think I feel, I think I feel some ambivalence. I feel mm -hmm. different, seemingly conflicting emotions about about it all yeah um just before we go into the brain train i just wanted to check in with you and just yeah like just, again hearing it i'm just so proud of you like how hard you tried and worked like mm -hmm. now understanding that a lot of that was like sympathetic energy mm -hmm. um, but you just worked so hard 
to yeah. to care for yourself and find answers. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and there was days where you had migraines and I didn't even know it. There was days where you had headaches all day and I didn't know it. There was days where you were sore everywhere. I didn't know it. Like just the struggle and the symptoms that you were experiencing constantly just re-experience mm-hmm. just remembering those just um just remembering all that you've gone through just mm-hmm. proud of you and mm-hmm. thankful for mm-hmm. removing in a different direction yeah and just the grief yeah. of like losing your 20s like mm-hmm. you said that like we didn't get to you didn't get to enjoy being a young mom because you're mm-hmm. always feeling so bad but you were still an amazing mom but you were yeah just want to bring just uh validate and just your story i don't want to go down a bunny trail but just validating and um giving the grief and the story the the attention that it deserves yeah. as, as we keep going but yeah i think so many people I found so many people with chronic illness and this is true for myself carry a lot of shame and it's so bizarre that there's so much shame because it's literally out of your control you didn't you didn't do it you didn't choose it you don't want it Mm -hmm. and yet the shame of being quote broken Mm -hmm. um is so pervasive in our stories and is so oppressive and being affirmed in that, like you just offered me is is such a gift for me and for those that are listening that have had similar journeys because there's a remarkable level of resiliency, perseverance, courage, bravery, hope, stamina that's needed to live in this world in a body that doesn't work well. Yeah. And um, it's good to be reminded and be affirmed in that. Mm. And just to the spouses out there that have spouses with chronic illness, like it's not easy. Like there's times where I was frustrated with the situation that we were in, discouraged, hopeless. um, Yeah. And not super understanding, like, because I was frustrated, I wanted something different. I didn't yeah. want you to feel sick. I wanted my wife. And it was hard to always have compassion or understanding. Um, so just the spouses out there that just struggle to support mm-hmm. their spouses with mm-hmm. chronic illness, it's you're human. Um, mm-hmm. Come back to having compassion for yourself of but you're, you're the support you're trying to give as well. And you don't have, yeah. you may not be doing it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay. Just have compassion on yourself and just try to reset. Um, we really have cool. a podcast on that, um, chronic illness and marriage. I don't know what number it is, but um, that's in our first season. And actually we did that prior yeah. to brain retraining. So it's, it's really, true. we should go back and listen to it and see, cause our, our perspective, I mean, everything has changed so much, uh, but I think it's still a very encouraging support because mm-hmm. chronic illness is alive and well and not going anywhere in the, in the grand scheme of things, even if there's individual recoveries. Um, I think that would be, we have a chronic illness and men, uh, chronic illness and marriage and mental illness and marriage episode, if you want to check those out. So yeah, just uh, receiving that affirmation for you. If you have found yourself to have chronic pain or illness, if that's your story and also to your significant others and family members who love you fiercely and who feel things, it's like watching someone in labor. No, you're not in labor too, but if you love them deeply, you feel the angst and the pain with them. It's the same thing when someone has chronic illness, you, you enter into that with them and it is a personal pain for you as well. Um, and it, that's really, really hard to navigate together, uh, especially as a couple. Yeah. So I'm trying to find the uh, episode and I, yeah, it's earlier on in season one. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to jump in to, yes. I had heard about 
the brain retraining program. Um, I actually heard about brain retraining first and then heard there was a couple different uh, programs to do this modality, um, this very intentional rewiring process. And I chose DNRS, a dynamic neural retraining system. I have no association with them. I've just done their program and really appreciated it and really enjoyed it. Um, and so I want to give you a quick, um, I think we'll do another episode where we really get into the nuts and bolts of brain retraining and help um, people understand it and kind of do it, an educational episode on that. But for quick uh, curiosity of the program that I did, uh, there's there's five main principles that the program is centered on. And it's this idea of realizing that your illness is a result of what they consider limbic impairment, which uh, is essentially a very dysregulated nervous system. So realizing that that's where your illness comes from, that you're not broken, that it's not this pathological thing, um, even if it's diagnosable, that you can uh, repair and rewire as your limbic system resets. So that's pillar number one, learning to redirect your thoughts, with the, which they call POPs, pathways of the past, learning how to recognize those and to redirect those. Elevating your mood, getting a lot of dose chemistry, uh, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, getting learning how to get those access to those neurotransmitters for your body's healing. Uh, incremental training. So this is a way to um, kind of like exposure therapy where you're where you're incrementally reintroducing things that your body has had reactions to to get to a place where you can tolerate them without reactions. And then doing the one hour, they recommend doing the one hour of um, brain retraining rounds, they call them daily, which is a practice. Um, so this is, these are their five things. And this is what I jumped head first into. I took the week to do their training. It was like four days online. And I remember just being in bed and feeling really bad. I had just been so symptomatic and just like listlessly walking around the house in my pajamas and but this little kernel of hope was starting to move in me um, as I sat in my bed watching the, this training and this understanding of neuroplasticity. Um, I had no idea that the emotions and thoughts that were connected so naturally to my symptoms, that those were actually fueling the symptoms themselves. I just had no comprehension of that. And so I was beginning to be empowered that I could influence those thoughts and feelings that I felt like were one and the same with the symptom, that I could influence them and uncouple them and feel my symptoms without connecting these thoughts and feelings of depression and hopelessness and shame and worthlessness. And um, today's terrible and it's never going to get better. And I'm stuck and I'm stuck and I'm stuck. These things are so closely connected. It's like you almost need a surgical tool to get them apart. But I was being empowered that, oh, I can take these apart and that will actually help my brain retrain. So I started again in April, 2021. I did the support groups that they offer. And I also did one-on-one -on -one coaching, both of which were incredibly powerful. Um, so within a week's time, I began, do you remember the first symptom shift we noticed, Luke? Yeah, your sleep. Yep. So share that. Um, so nighttime, like the nighttime, you'd usually be pretty tired around dinner time, ready for bed. Um, so very, and usually headache, so very tired. So we go to bed, maybe 9, 30, 10 o'clock. I mean, early on in our marriage, when you could, like <laughs> kids were younger, you would sleep 9, 10 o'clock. Um, and then you'd be ready for a nap around one or two. So in Thailand, you would probably get up around eight or nine to help out getting the kids to school and everything, but you would crash after lunch, um, probably one or two and sleep for about two hours and wake up and be good for a couple hours, but ready for bed again. Um, and yeah. so that was every day. Um, yeah. You needed about 12 hours of sleep and needed about a two hour nap. Yeah. And about a weekend. What is considered chronic fatigue syndrome? Um, that's a pattern of chronic fatigue syndrome. Yeah. But and yes, about a, and then a about a week into the stream. 
you're like i'm like getting up for work at like 6 30 7 o'clock and you started waking up with me I'm like this is strange what is she doing <laughs> what are you doing awake she's like i don't know i just woke up and i feel good oh that's interesting and i was like wait i didn't take a nap the last two days wait what and we started noticing like you didn't you weren't chronically fatigued you were good with like eight hours of sleep um, yeah like maybe once or twice a week you would take like a 30 minute to an hour nap but like yeah. you weren't passing out exhausted for two hours kind yeah. of nap yeah like, no, I feel like I have some I have a quiet afternoon I'm feeling kind of tired I'm gonna take a little nap like yeah. with a choice of yeah it was so different it was self-care and and like I don't know maybe a week into it we just noticed like like this is becoming like a pattern like you're up with me in the morning what what's going on here it's nice to have you in the morning don't get me wrong but this is different it was so weird to wake up without being woken up yeah. like that was such a bizarre thing to me because you have woken me up our entire marriage <laughs> i have not i mean when i would work 7 a.m to 7 p.m i'd have to set my alarm for like 5 30 and i'd have to wake up with the alarm but Besides that, I would sleep in. Sleeping in was the biggest priority to me in my life. Yeah. And if it was at all possible for you to do the morning routine and me to sleep in, I would. Yep. And I never woke up on my own. The feeling of like being in bed and like having uh, your senses and your eyes and everything starting to arouse and just looking around and realizing, oh, I'm awake, but no one's here like, Lauren, Lauren, time to get up. It's 9.30, it was, babe, it was time to get up. So bizarre to me. Um, but that was the first shift we noticed. And mm -hmm. this wasn't, this is the crazy thing about retraining your brain. You don't know what is going to shift first. You don't know the process. You don't know the timeline. You just go for it. I had no idea that that, that, that really realization was going to calm the realization that I wasn't broken and that I could stop fighting was going to calm my nervous system enough that in a week's time I was my energy completely recalibrated and shifted um I didn't know I had no idea but that's what happened and it was really crazy to see so up close um and so I'm going to continue on with the journey. Within three months time, all of my major symptoms had significantly responded to the process, significantly reduced. Um, it's like a, a chart where some are higher, some are lower. It's it. There's no um, there's no predictable manner that this happens, but you see this progress. And so about by three months, I had seen significant progress enough so that the hope was fueling more hope, 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 because things were changing so much. Um, I went rock climbing, which was new and scary. And I just felt so empowered as I was symbolically climbing this mountain um, that I was healing and that I could heal. We began to do Wait, more adventures activities. Real quick, that mountain climbing, like you breeze past it, but like again, like the physical energy that you expressed that that day, like was more like so much. Like you, you weren't crashing in the cave on the mountain. Yeah. And you even that night, you went to bed at like a normal time. Mm -hmm. Like you weren't yeah. crashing on yeah, the I couch never... after dinner. Yeah. Like I didn't have the hangover headache, which I usually would get from exerting, uh, exerting myself at all. Yeah. Um, but honestly, the emotional part of it was even bigger to me because yeah. I realized how much fear I had stopped. I had said no to so much because mm. I was under this um, perception that my body was so broken and so incapable. And so I just had limited my world so much out of this driving fear and seeing myself go up the mountain was just like, Oh, I'm empowered and I'm not, I'm not power. I'm not um, powerless. Yeah. I'm not powerless and incapable. And so and yeah, it wasn't it was like a really hike. Cool. We weren't like hiking up a mountain. Like you were climbing up the side of a mountain, like with ropes. Yeah. And I just <laughs> He's remember, so proud of me. <laughs> I, I am. And I just remember the kids even like, like, oh my gosh, yeah. mom's going to do it too. Yeah. They, were, they like, were shocked. They were like, so used to like, oh, mom can't enjoy this mom's too yeah. tired mom mom hurts mom has a headache and so it was almost like assumed that mom wasn't going to climb oh 
it was always assumed, yeah, yeah, that mom, which was such a big wrapped up in so much mom guilt for me yeah. that I wasn't able to be this mom that was be playful and engaging with my kids with adventure and um, but seeing wonder. the excitement and the pride that are on our kids' faces when they're like, oh wait, like you're putting on the the ropes and everything. Oh, mom's climbing, and to see you go up that mountain, um, they were it was like a huge family celebration that you could it really was. enjoy an event as a family yeah. it was it was huge yeah, it was incredibly symbolic yes. for our, our journey symbolic for sure so during this time my fatigue my persistent brain fog pain inflammation all of these big symptoms were reducing and my fear and anxiety was reducing which is so bizarre to to say that I actually didn't know I had fear or anxiety. So some people who have anxiety conditions are very aware of the anxiety. Um, I was not aware. I was kind of disconnected from my body. And it was so deep. It was so hidden under all of these coping strategies and techniques um, of fight, flight, fawn. Like my sympathetic energy was hiding the, the fear that I felt beneath. And I remember so distinctly a couple of weeks into this process, um, I was watching out, out of our bedroom window. We have this beautiful like forest area that our neighbors have in their, in their yard. That's so tropical and just stunning high trees and flowering plants. And I just remember very clearly hearing and feeling you don't have to be afraid anymore. And in that moment, it was like a thousand downloads happened. And I understood things in that moment that I had never seen before, that fear was driving so much of my, my world and my engagement with myself and with others. Um, and as that really, really reduced, my openness just unfurled, like life became open to me again. And I remember doing uh, visualizations as part of the program. And I remember feeling like a flower. If you're not used to visualizations and using your imagination, this might sound weird. But for me, it was like, I pictured myself as this very closed up flower, like the bud is tightly closed. And this process, as I was um, in the midst of this transformation, it was like the flower petals were unfurling slowly and opening. And I was able to receive all the elements around me, the soft breeze and the rain and the sun. I was able to receive the beauty and goodness around me um, because I was no longer closed off to it. And I realized being closed off is a response when the elements are not safe and the flower doesn't feel like it can be open. And so as I was opening, um, goodness and beauty began penetrating me. And I realized for the first time consciously that I didn't believe beauty and goodness were for me. I thought they were in the world and for other people but I began to realize they're for me and I can have as much of it as I possibly want. It's for me. Um, and this was so, so, so powerful. This is something that's been um, interesting that I've realized, like people with chronic illness are very aware of their bodies. They notice every sensation, but it's a surface level awareness. Um, I believe they're disconnected from the deeper uh, well beneath them, the deeper current, but they have a very acute awareness of the surface. And that's how I, that's how I felt. Um, and so reconnecting to my body and um, shifting my orientation to my symptoms, they were so consuming and I was so aware of them. Every little, little flinch and move and uh, anything that was happening in my body, I was like insanely aware, very hypervigilant too. Um, but becoming connected to this deeper awareness of what I wanted, what I needed, what my voice was saying, what my body was saying, what it was telling me, that um, reconnecting took some time, but I was so, so, so ready for it. And I'll just throw that in here right now. I was not ready prior to this point to embark on this brain nutrient journey. I just wasn't ready. So even if I had heard about it, I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have thought, oh, that's the next step for me. Um, but I was so ready this time to, to heal. And I had proven to myself that I tried all the other things that I deemed the right way to address it without success. And so because I had done that, I felt like, 
open to something and ready to heal uh, in a different way than before. So I began to change, like I said, my orientation to my symptoms. I was learning how to create safety for myself in the midst of the symptoms and uh, redirecting those thoughts of depression and hopelessness and shame that was so connected and finding that my response to my symptoms is actually more important than the symptom itself. You can't change symptoms. You can't force them or will them away, but how you respond to them, um, it, it dictates whether they continue to ingrain in your system or in your brain, um, or whether they're going to loosen their power. And so I began to um, reorient when I felt these very powerful, very uncomfortable symptoms that would come. I began to give myself safety and comfort and not, um, and really be mindful of the the narrative that I was believing, because this is the thing, when you have chronic illness, you you eventually learn to become really good at self-care in the service level sense. You nap, you rest, you avoid, you do all these things, but you can be doing all of those things from a place of um, where your mind is still crippled with the fear and the discomfort of the symptom while you're doing all these things on the outside. What's actually most important is what you're doing on the inside in the midst of those symptoms. And also learning to push against them and try and do more and show your body, yep, we have this headache. Yep, we have this joint pain. We have this brain fog. We have this, but we're going to go and go on a, a gentle walk. We're going to go and read a book we love. We're going to go do something that is nourishing for us and not let our body just go into a deep, dark hole of collapse. So... I began to hear, I began to follow, I began to read a lot of books, listen to a lot of podcasts, follow a lot of accounts. And I began to hear people say, it's, you know, so much more than the symptom reduction is this, these other things that come along in the brain retraining journey. And I was just like, no, I don't care about the other things. I want the symptom reduction. Sign me up for that package. Can I have that plan? I want the symptom reduction plan because I was so desperate to feel better. I was like, these things on the peripheral parts that people were talking about that they found these rich treasures in their healing they felt so meaningless to me um, and maybe that's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs that, that I needed something I felt like I needed to feel good first before I could have any of those extra things but they're woven together and you can have these life-changing insights and revelations and transformations while you heal. It doesn't have to happen after. You don't have to feel good 100% of the time to um, start receiving goodness and beauty in your life and start opening up to a whole new world. So some of the things that I was um, finding, these treasures I was finding, beyond just feeling good, um, I was feeling that goodness and beauty, realizing it was for me. I was realizing how drawn I was to the hard and heavy aspects of life I had been since I was a teen, and how my brain was wired to seek out that particular cocktail of neurotransmitters that made me feel a certain way, because the brain wants what is usual, what is familiar. And so I realized those hard and heavy things, while they're a real part of the world, um, they didn't need to consume all my thoughts and all my days, and that I could seek lightness and joy and peace and beauty. And so I began to recalibrate how I did that, which is a big part of rewiring the brain to tell it what it needs to crave, what it needs um, to feel good, and that it's not just the hard, hard, heavy things. The things that need redemption was all I ever was drawn towards realizing I had the power to shift this, um, realizing that I had lived in sympathetic energy forever, for as long as I can remember, and that I could have access to safe and social, that nervous system state of regulation and ease and hope and possibility that I could be there too. I didn't just have to stay in the fix all the things, troubleshoot all the problems, solve the world's ache. Um, I could be in another space. And that was such an invitation for me. And it was so unexpected. I didn't think I was allowed um, into that space. So my symptoms continued to ebb and flow as I retrained for that year with consistent improvement overall. There's so many customized approaches to brain training, as many customized approaches as there are people. And that's what I kept finding. Like everyone found their own way of, of 
working with their body on their healing journey. So I began to incorporate more somatic body work as I felt so like it was so important for me to get into my body and to be in my body since I had been disconnected for so long. And I really tapped into um, regulation and the polyvagal theory and learning the language of my nervous system and which state I was in and what I needed and how to support myself and how to offer that compassion to help create the safety I wanted and let the shame dissipate. So I incorporated these, these principles, um, as well as grief, grief work. A lot of brain retraining doesn't know what to do with grief because it tends to be very potent for the nervous system. It tends to really shut the nervous system down. And so they just kind of avoid grief, but we have found that grief has been such a big part of our healing. And so learning how to grieve and stay close to my window of tolerance. And when I get out of my window of tolerance to find my way back to safety and to comfort. So I incorporated a lot of those things into the process and just continued to heal. Um, so one year, Luke and I went out to dinner and he gave me this commissioned piece of art. I was going to bring it. I forgot to bring it. Um, that he had our daughter paint. And it's a symbol. It's a Celtic symbol, right? Yeah. Of um, new beginning. And um, he had her paint it with these flourishing vines all around this symbol to symbolize my journey of this new leaf that I turned over as um, a 34-year-old and having a completely different orientation to the world and my body and have experienced so much healing. And we celebrated and I ate homemade pasta full of gluten. It was my first time of eating a serving of gluten that year. And um, it had been 10 years. And prior to that, I, when I was eating gluten, I was vomiting. So I was, this was the last thing I reintroduced. This was the last food I had done all the other ones up until then, but I was a little nervous about this and I did really well and it was really delicious. And I was so happy because I'm Italian and I love pasta. That night was just a beautiful night of celebration. How did that night feel for you? Oh, it was so exciting. Um, yeah, just accumulation of all those years of hopes and dreams, and also that year of hopes and dreams, and just seeing you progressing and adding food. So like starting to eat eggs again, starting to eat cheese again, starting to eat hist like foods with high histamines again, eating a little bit of chocolate. Um, and a seeing, lot of chocolate. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you start out with a little, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and this then to eat pasta with you for the first time in 10 years, it was just very symbolic. Um, yeah. Again, so proud of you, so excited, celebrating. It was just a huge, a really big moment. Again, yeah. our kids seeing you <laughs> each time <laughs> you added a food. Mom, is that the first time you've eaten that? Mom, how are you doing? It's just so cool and <clears throat> just how what they've learned and and just cheerleading you along but yeah that night was just amazing was it, it symbolized think of, yeah um those moments with our kids and what it meant to them and they've seen such a profound change in me that now they'll say like oh that person needs brain retraining <laughs> Even if it's something totally not applicable, yeah. they're just sure that brain retraining will save the world. And um, it's really sweet because it's just their, their child, like, um, you know, black and whiteness of mom was this mom. She was so sick. She was always sleeping. She couldn't eat the meals we ate. Everything was around that to now, oh, mom is a completely different person. And in their minds, it's just um, this very straightforward, easy solution. And yeah. I think it's so precious that they, that they understand the brain can change and that people yeah. can heal because we do want them to believe that. Um, that's something we believe even more deeply now than we ever have. And so um, the last several months, uh, that was just in April, that um, like what, five months ago, four months ago, yeah. that I had that gluten. I've been eating gluten ever since. Um, 
I've been eating, been eating what I want. And it's so delicious to just eat and enjoy food. And um, the pendulum has swung. And so I know I'll swing back. Like I won't eat candy every day. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'm enjoying food and the novelty of it so much right now and trying to find what balance looks like now on this side where I actually can eat things and my terrible symptoms aren't what's stopping me, but wanting to just have balance and a healthy diet. So I'll find it. I'm not too stressed about that. You ate your Um, treat. I have been eating Doritos. (laughs) If only she knew that comment. So in that comment, like I, I always want to let people know about this because I, I'm like, could I be that person for them to start them on their journey? And I just, I don't want to push people when they're not ready or they're not interested, but that woman, that comment, who would have thought that that would have changed my life, the trajectory of my life so Mm -hmm. profoundly. Um, so what does it look like for the past several months for me as I've continued? I don't do the traditional um, the traditional process that I was doing with DNRS any longer. I have my own lifestyle of brain retraining and of living a healing, nurturing lifestyle um, for my body. So there were two very clear times for me when I was um, in the middle of a visualization and I realized something very, very specific and profound that I needed to do. And they are both surrounding boundaries. And those steps that I've taken in those areas have continued to give my body more safety, a sense of safety. And safety is what allows the nervous system to recalibrate and to no longer be in that state of survival. And so any steps that you can take to create safety for yourself and this is an emotional, relational safety, primarily in the modern world. It's not physical safety usually, but sometimes um, those steps are huge. And the nervous system sees you. The brain knows what you're doing. It knows that you are taking care of it and that you are capable and empowered to protect it and to care for it like an adult can. And that empowerment allows continued healing. And I have seen continued healing and freedom, amazing, amazing amounts of freedom as I have made those choices and listened to my body in those moments of very clear steps that I needed to take. Finding the clarity and strength of my voice, unwinding from ingrained patterns of codependency from my past and reawakening to my body and what it really wants and what it needs. That's what the last several months have looked like. And it's been, it's been an amazing journey. And in the process, we've started a business together in Thailand and um, had some big transitions and my body's doing well. And it's, it's, um, it is learning a new way to be in the world. And I'm just really proud of it. I'm proud of me. Um, I wanted to read a little section from my journal. So this journal is filled, look how cute it is. It has an avocado on it for all the podcast listeners you guac my world. Maybe that's us, an avocado and toast. You can be the toast because you don't love avocado as much as me. That's true. Um, this, This journal is just filled with insight after insight from this past year. It's just like a treasure um, box of gems. Um, As I wrote down all of these breakthroughs, I was having all these symptoms that were gone. It was just an incredible journey. It also has in the beginning my 70 symptoms, which look so much differently now. So I just wanted to read um, a thing that I did at the new year. And I hadn't even been a year. What would that be about like eight months? Something Mm -hmm. that I had um, written uh, this past new year. So I said, I feel so different than who I was last year. I was in deep, deep grief, riddled with fear weighed down by my symptoms and thinking and thirsting for breath and light. I was so ready and eager for change. It was like the seed beginning to sprout through the hard kernel, painful and yet it outgrew its own space, was coming out into the world, finding its new life there. And then I was telling myself, um, I wrote, what advice would you give yourself at the beginning of this year? And I was telling myself that you have life-giving connections, but you are your truest connection. Finding health and wholeness looks a lot 
like attaching more deeply with self, finding what you need for peace inward and not outward in people. And that's been the journey that I've been on. And in doing so, my emotional and mental health have totally changed and my physical health is in a completely different position than it was last April. And I feel, I don't feel afraid of the future anymore. I feel so hopeful mm-hmm. and I feel that it's just only going to continue to learn to be more empowered and more embodied and live the life that I long to live with you. I agree. I, that fear of not growing old with you is no longer there. And I feel yeah. like we are able to enjoy our younger years together and and make up for that lost time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's been amazing, very hope-filled and empowering just to still enjoy life in a more deeper way with you not, we're walking it together before, but you were just always sick. And, but we're now mm-hmm. we're walking together and more empowered and emboldened and not sick. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for being my co-host as I shared this journey. And thank you for being my co-host in life too. We're good co-hosts to each other. We are. And yeah, uh, hopefully this episode, um, yeah, I don't know what it, what it will mean to you, but I'm glad to share it. And thank you for holding my story with honor and, um, kindness. And if there's someone that you think of that is suffering a similar um, journey that I have suffered, please share this um, episode with them. And maybe it will be, maybe it will be the thing to point them in a new direction of deeper healing and hope for them as well. Yes. Thanks, babe, for sharing your story and being vulnerable and offering that as an invitation to people and being willing to be your story being used to the people that need to hear it yeah thank you listeners for being here and this is another episode of built to flourish and we'll see you next time next episode while it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment Please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.